today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. the kind of prayer warrior that you and I need. Amen? Somebody that's willing to put it on the line. Say, look, I'll protect you guys. I'll put my life on the line. But I want the promise from you that you're going to spare my family. Not only is that the kind of prayer warrior that you and I need batting for us, that's the kind of prayer warrior we need to be. That we're willing to put it all on the line in our prayers, in our concerns for others. Rahab was willing to put her life at risk to save her family. In today's message, Pastor David will be teaching on this supernatural encounter between the prostitute Rahab and the two Israelite spies. She had heard about the power of the Lord. She confesses that there is no other God like Him. She protects the spies and begs for them to spare her life and the life of her family when they take over Jericho. This is a great example of faith and of a heart of an intercessor. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Our God Goes Before Us. Maybe the two men were there and Rahab already had a clue of who these guys were. And she understood a little bit about what's going on. Not her normal clientele and definitely not of the same custom, maybe not even of the same apparel as some of the other men that would come there. And she noticed that they were possibly asking a lot of questions. And then old squealer over here, you know, the guy that's always squealing on somebody, suddenly he gets up and he leaves and Rahab knows, okay, there's going to be problems. Maybe that's how it happened. We don't know. But somehow she had enough advanced notice to be able to take these men, get them up on the roof, hide them away as the king's men came in. Not only did she hide them, but she had a great story. She said, I don't know who they were. I, I, I don't know where they were from. And I don't know where they went. But they just left. So if you hurry, you might be able to catch them. So she's saying, you know, go ahead and get out of my place. Go go after them. Don't search my house. Don't look around for them. If you hurry, you might be able to catch them. And so these king's men, they verse 7 says, the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. This is one sharp lady, you know. That, Don't take the time to search my house. Go after them. And so they did. The coast is now clear. The king's men are outside the city gates. The gates are now closed. They're headed toward the river Jordan with the hopes of being able to overtake these spies. And yet all the time they've been hiding out on Rahab's rooftop. And as amazing as the events already are, there's something actually miraculous that's about to happen. Something literally nothing short of of supernatural that's about to happen. Look at verse 8. Now, before they lay down, she, Rahab, 
came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord... Now, stop right there. Did you notice what name she uses for God? In your version, it's probably the all-capitalized L-O-R-D. She didn't say, I know that you're God, or I, I know that the God of your people... She said, I know that Jehovah, she used the very name of the Hebrew God, a personal name. And she, I believe, was taking it personal at this point in time. She could have just as easily said, I know that you're God. But she says, no, I know that Jehovah has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how Jehovah dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. The spies didn't need to go any further than this. At this point in time, Rahab now has shared with them more than they could have hoped for. She's already shared with them how already the fear of the people of Israel and of the God of Israel has just swept through this land. And the people of Jericho in particular, if not all of them, they are absolutely terrified. They're terrified of this wandering group of ex-slaves as they come in toward this land. They've seen them on the other side of the river. They've heard the tales of how they've defeated these other kings, mighty kings over here, and how their God had supernaturally given them victory. And she says, we are terrified of you people because your God, no, she didn't say your God, because Jehovah has given you this land. That's a powerful, powerful confession. That's an awesome statement when you understand it. And apparently the news had either gotten out or spread across the land. Everything from God of the Israelites parting the Red Sea, allowing them to come from underneath the bondage of of Pharaoh of Egypt, giving them freedom, even to the point of all of the battles that they had fought with all these great kings on that other side of the Jordan. The people had already heard how the children of Israel had defeated these great kings, not only defeated them, but in Rahab, own words, whom you utterly destroyed. We know that your God is powerful. I think it's curious how she didn't say anything about how their God had wiped out thousands of their people due to their unfaithfulness. She didn't say anything about how God had disciplined them because of their sin. What she saw and what the people on that western side of Jordan saw was the might and the power of their God to defeat all of their enemies, and their God was leading them right into this land. She knew that they were in deep trouble, and so did all of the people of the land. So she explained, verse 11, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For Jehovah, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. We just sang, you are God alone through all things. 
I don't know if you recognize or not, but I believe truly for Rahab at this point in time, this is a powerful confession of faith for her, particularly for a Gentile woman, a prostitute speaking about the God of the Hebrews in a very personal way, in a personal tone, that Jehovah calling him by name. This is a woman that had been raised probably all of her life in a culture that had multiples of gods, hundreds if not thousands of gods that they would worship in every sort of way, perverted way of every kind of sacrifice. You can imagine everything from child sacrifice to any and every way you could possibly think of. And along with the gods of their own culture, they'd been introduced to gods of other foreigners as they traveled through that land. Jericho was a huge area where travelers would come because of the way that it lay there down in the Jordan Valley. It was easy access as people came from the areas of Damascus going on down into Egypt, people coming from further east going toward the Mediterranean. Jericho was an easy place to get to. A lot of traffic would come through there. And all of those foreigners that traveled through that land. It was a normal thing that they would carry little relics or idols that they'd put them on the dashboard of their car so that they could have it there or hang it from their rearview mirror as they were driving along. They would carry these idols, these gods with them. And, and even artisans. Artisans would come into this area where there's all of these people and they would make these little things. They would carve them or they would melt down and forge these little gods and, and sell them to the people, the heathen cultures. They were always open to a better god or a god that would assist them in a particular problem. And now Rahab makes this declaration that's as foreign to her culture as you can get. Because she makes a statement that says, Jehovah, your God, he is God in heaven alone and on earth beneath. Yours is the only real and true God. That's a pretty powerful thing for this woman to declare. And I believe that it speaks of building up in her a faith and a dependence upon the God of Israel because she sees and she knows him. And she knows these other gods have never done a thing really and truly for her, but she has seen the results of trusting in the God of Israel. She knew that if their God was as strong and as powerful as they had seen and as they had heard of, that she better submit herself to him and to his representatives. That's why we see in verse 12 these words. Now, therefore, she's still speaking to the spies. She says, now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by Jehovah, since I've shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, and my sisters all that they have and deliver our lives from death. I believe that as she came to that full understanding of the might and of the power of the Hebrew God, that she knew that she needed his protection and his covering not only for her own life, but for all of her family. She made the men swear by Jehovah. She made them swear by his name that they would protect her and her whole family. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. You know what? That's the kind of prayer warrior that you and I need. Amen? 
Somebody that's willing to put it on the line and say, look, I'll protect you guys. I'll put my life on the line. But I want the promise from you that you're going to spare my family. Not only is that the kind of prayer warrior that you and I need batting for us, that's the kind of prayer warrior we need to be. That we're willing to put it all on the line in our prayers, in our concerns for others. Kind of prayer that, again, she asked, they responded and really in the only way that they could from that kind of kindness, from that kind of intensity of a request. Well, they say, our lives for yours. So the man answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. They definitely wanted her to swear secrecy. Don't tell anybody, you know, again, why we were here or what we were doing. Well, it's interesting. Already the king knew what they were doing. The king knew that two spies had come from Israel. The two spies had come to spy out their land. There's no doubt that the people understood that Israel was going to come. But they told her, you need to have this promise that you're not going to be sharing anything that you've heard from us. And if you do that, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Definitely be silent, sworn to secrecy. They had already been found out, but they wanted to be certain that it didn't go any further than it had already been taken. Then the men themselves, they they made this, this very, very strong statement, I believe a strong statement of faith in reference to the power of Jehovah, of the power of their God. He says, when the Lord has given us the land. They already understood. The Lord is going to give us this land. This land is our land. We're going to be coming in here. And you need to understand that that wasn't some kind of thing like in the popular Christian culture today, a positive confession. You confess it and then God's bound by his word to give you that thing. No, I don't think that God's going to be held captive by anything or any man. It's not one of those things where you confess it and the power of your own words will cause the thing to happen or or take place. No, that's New Age mysticism. The fact that, hey, I can create my own reality. I can speak these things into existence. That's a bunch of garbage. God is the one who speaks and makes things happen, not you and I. God is the one who is under control. Our creator is not under our control control. Does that make any sense at all that I can speak these things and then God is bound to do what I said? None whatsoever. Not if you truly understand who God is. What these men were doing, they were confessing a faith and an absolute dependence upon what their God had already promised to them. He said, I'm going to bring you into this land. I'm going to fight the battles for you. I'm going to stand before you. I'm going to watch over you. If you trust me, I will defeat the enemy even before you get there. So they said to Rahab, so when we come in, when our God gives us this land, they knew that it was going to happen. Why? Because of their ability? Because of their great faith? No, I think the last 40 years proved their great faith. 
I believe that, again, they learned to trust in the ability and in the power of Almighty God, and so they were able to move with that. They were confessing that absolute dependence upon him. Verse 15, Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. This woman is sharp. She says, now look, when, when I let you down off this wall, don't go back across the Jordan because the king's guys just went that way. They're not going to find you there. They're going to be coming back. You go in that way. You'll run right into them. So go the other way. Go deeper into the land. Go hide in the mountains and then just hang out for about three days. They'll give up after a while. Then you can work your way back. Hide there for three days. When the pursuers have returned, afterward you may go on your way. Amazing. People might look down on her because of who she was. She was a prostitute. She was a harlot. But let me tell you something. Our God demonstrates his power in people who are sold out to him. And it doesn't matter what your past is. He is the one who is able to write your future. It does not matter what your past is. Our God is the one, when we commit ourselves to him, he is the one who will write our future. And a lot of people try to write our future for us based on our past. Our God, in the greatness of who he is, in his might, in his power, can take what seems to be the evident future of our lives, and he can change it completely by his might and by his power when we, as his people, commit and submit our lives to him. Rahab was a prostitute. She was a harlot. There's absolutely no doubt about that. There's no whitewashing it. There's no cleaning it up. There's no making it nice and neat and tidy. She was who she was. But that was past tense. God is changing her life. And God is beginning it even here. It's interesting. That's why in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith, Rahab the harlot is listed there. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, he says, By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. All the way into the New Testament, this woman from the Old Testament, this one woman who made that much difference simply because she trusted God enough to put her very life on the line. She put her life on the line, saved the life of these two spies, and kept quiet about everything. And so when we'll read when we get there that God spared not only her life, but the life of her family. When James, again, in the New Testament, when James begins writing about what true faith looks like and the need that there is evidence of works within our faith, he uses Rahab, the prostitute, as an example of what faith with works looks like. In James chapter 2, verse 25, we read, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? What an awesome thing. Again, twice. But one of the greatest listings that we have of Rahab was when she was listed as one of the women within the bloodline of our Savior. 
That is totally awesome. She was the mother of Boaz, who was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David in the bloodline of the Savior. The whole list is just absolutely amazing. Uh, Rahab in, in the bloodline. But a little bit earlier on, before her, there was Tamar. And, and Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. And remember, uh, Judah's son, Tamar's husband, died, and they didn't have any children. And there was a little bit of sneakery going on in there. But Judah went into her and had an incestuous relationship with her. She bore twins. One of those becomes in the bloodline of the Savior. Tamar, in that kind of a situation. One of the other ones that's listed within the bloodline of the Savior, Matthew lists her as the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We know her as Bathsheba. And and we see all these things. Bathsheba, the one who, again, David had this adulterous affair, and who David, even David himself, who was an adulterer and a murderer, murdered her husband through all these things through the bloodline of a Savior. I love that it's not neat, it's not tidy, it's not pretty, it's not something that you and I would devise. We want to go through our own bloodlines, don't we, sometimes? and kind of Well, we want to kind of take that branch off of the family tree, and we're going to do a little pruning over here. But you know what? For the family tree of the Savior, it's all out there. Why? Because our past does not determine our future when God is involved in our lives. When we allow him to lead us and direct us, not only does he bring forgiveness, but he brings healing and he brings redirection in our lives. We need to be that kind of a people that rather than allowing the enemy to continually beat us down and knock us down because of our past, because of the failings of the past, or when we look at other people that we're not bringing other people down, but that we're lifting them up, that we're encouraging them because we serve a great and a mighty and a powerful God who is able to take the least of us and, yes, even the worst of us and raise us up and use us for his glory. Who would have thought, really and truly, if you didn't know anything about the Bible, and you came and you told the story of of this harlot by the name of Rahab who ran this little house there in Jericho. No, oh, and then Tamar, you know, this gal, she has this relationship with her father-in-law, and she has twins with that. Wow, you know, it's really gross and yucky. And then Bathsheba has this relationship with the king, and then even David himself, who murders her husband. Who would have thought that God would have, God could have, used these kinds of things within his plan, within his direction. You say, oh, wait, that wasn't really his plan, was it? He didn't really plan to use these kinds of people. Well, we could argue that probably all night and all day and not come to a final conclusion on that. The thing that I do see is that our God does use those kinds of people. He uses people just like you and me. He uses people with chips and cracks and stains and failures. He uses people who have issues of life that they battle with maybe for years and years. And yet God is able to use them. Why? Because, beloved, it's not the vessel. It is the treasure that is within the vessel. And if we would keep that in mind, if we would keep that understanding, then you know what? We're not going to be putting down a brother or sister We're going to be encouraging that brother or sister. 
one of the mightiest warriors in the entire Bible was Joshua. God used Joshua to conquer many of the pagan nations surrounding God's people. From spying out the land God had promised his people, to Joshua's encounter with the angel of the Lord, this book will surely be an encouragement. Join us as David teaches through Joshua verse by verse. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. That's TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. Here's Tracy with more information about our service times here at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe you're listening right now in Casa Grande and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. at 6.30 p.m. every Wednesday and Saturday. For more information, call us at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link to the church website. Thanks, Tracy. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Please join us next time for the next edition of The Open Word. Make us more.